Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast. This week, the Education Secretary Damien Hines talks about why he would like more faith schools to convert to academies. The Bishop of Gloucester, Rachel Truik, talks about how churches must not ignore the realities of domestic abuse. And the Bishop of Liverpool, Paul Bays, talks about his new book, The Table. If you don't subscribe to the Church Times, try 10 issues for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. And if you enjoy the podcast, as we hope you do, please rate us. It helps people to find us. On Tuesday, the Education Secretary, Damien Hines, held a meeting with faith leaders to discuss what he said are the benefits of translating faith schools into academies. He told the group that faith schools had led the way in embracing reforms. Hattie Williams spoke to Damien Hines before the meeting. How important, given the meeting that you've just held, would you say is the working relationship between the Church of England and the government in the provision of education in the UK? Oh, it's incredibly important. The Church of England is the biggest name in primary education in this country. And it's a pretty big name, actually a very big name, in secondary education as well. It's long been a cornerstone partner in our education system. Church schools, of course, predate other state schools and, you know, as recognised firmly in the 1944 Education Act. And today, in urban communities, but also, you know, very many of our rural schools and villages are Church of England schools, and they get typically good results. And as I say, they are an incredibly important part of the system. So therefore, my relationship with the Church of England, me as Education Secretary, is also very important. You've been talking a lot about academies today, and obviously you're pushing for more schools to become academies. Obviously, the Church of England has a large role to play in that, particularly in secondary schools. That sector is growing. The CV is heavily involved and committed to local authorities as well. Yeah. Are you going to continue with that mixed economy, or does the government plan for all schools to become academies in the long run? Well, you can have and do have excellent schools of all sorts, actually. Mixed schools, single-sex schools, urban schools, rural schools, big schools, small schools, faith schools, secular schools, all sorts. And we are blessed in having that diversity in our system. And it will continue to be diverse. But there are extra, there are advantages to becoming an academy, and particularly to joining a group of schools in an academy's trust. And yes, I am keen to promote those opportunities. And today we have a roundtable session with various faith groups and churches. And I heard directly from a number of them about the advantages they've seen with things like being able to share expertise across the group, you know, things like the development of curriculum, and also really importantly, career paths for teachers, which in a wider group is really important. And also being part of a wider church-based academies trust also, I think, helps to further or give a further dimension to the ethos of the school, the religious character of the school. I'm also trying to encourage more people to step forward to volunteers, governors and trustees, because of course that is a very important part of this picture as well. There has been some criticism that kind of resources for academies are drying up, so not just funding, but also, as you say, the pool of expert volunteers to actually run those academies. What would you say in response to those criticisms? Well, I pay enormous tribute and thank those who give of their time to be a governor or a trustee. And actually, we've got some fantastic governors and trustees coming on board now. There are a couple of programmes that we run to encourage it. And I also recently announced a significant increase in our resourcing for training for governors so that they can do their job most effectively. That will help to show good results. But particularly with a multi-academy trust, that is an opportunity for people who do want to give something back to society through education 
to be able to do so on a wider scale. So not just being the governor of your local school. And quite often, of course, people become governors as a parent governor when their own children are at school. But through a larger group of schools, you can be having that beneficial effect, yes, in your own immediate area, but also over a quite a wider area as well. Mm. But do you think that those resources are drying up in terms of the volunteers? Obviously you said there are still some, but you know, is that a problem for schools who are trying to become academies, the funding and, and the volunteers as well? No, I'm finding that people want to volunteer. Some people don't know what the opportunities are for being a governor or a trustee, and that's one of the things we're really trying to promote. And actually I think churches can play an important part in that as well and spreading that message. Okay, so financially for academies, obviously there are some benefits financially to become an academy. Are there any negatives there from what you've seen or is it you'll get more money and this is a positive thing rather than there are some pitfalls along the way as well? Well, the advantages really I see are not about you know, a financial case. It's about having an identity as a, as a single school, or I'd say usually these days more so as part of a group of schools able to do things in a different way. So you get some of the economies of scale but on a human scale, able to collaborate on things like developing the curriculum, developing materials, sometimes clubbing together to provide extracurricular activities. It is possible to give financial support for the you know, going through conversion or when changing the trust that you're in when that's necessary. Mm. But the fundamental point is about the essence of what the school is and its collaboration with others in the group. And just on faith schools then, more specifically, does the government have any plans to grow the number of faith schools in the UK? What does the future look like for, for those schools? Yeah, I'm keen to grow the number of faith schools. As I said to you earlier, they're a really important part in our system, typically get good results and are popular with parents. It's good to have more of them. I think it's a shame that, to be honest, we're getting not that message from the opposition. You know, talk of a what they call a common rule book. Mm. Not totally clear what that means, but obviously, you know, faith schools are able to make different arrangements on certain things like on admissions and so on and not clear how the common rule book would threaten that exactly but it doesn't sound helpful so i want to make sure that we carry on celebrating faith schools and spread the message about uh, about their strengths actually all the great things that churches and faith groups do which are often underappreciated that is true in education it's also true in other spheres as well mm. uh, and we do have to keep making this case because you know there are people who are opposed to there being state-funded faith schools and it's important that we keep on making the case. You talked about the appreciation of different faiths and, and faith schools and so on. Can I just ask you about religious education? Yeah. Is that something that's important to the government, developing that side of things where perhaps the teaching in religious education in particular has not been of a particularly high standard, looking into that and teaching young children how important it is to have a good education, a good religious education, given the state of the world as it is at the moment? RE is really important part of the curriculum for faith schools and for non-faith schools that will continue to be really important i mean right across the subjects i'm also keen that we look at allowing schools to share materials to make it easier for schools but also to to make sure we've got really high quality materials backing up subjects in that way on Thursday, the Bishop of Gloucester, Rachel Truick, spoke at the House of Lords at the launch event of a practical guide to help survivors of domestic abuse. It's published by the charity Restored. Adam Beckett was at the launch and caught up with Bishop Truick. Uh, how important are, are uh, organisations like Restored? 
I think the work that Restored does is amazing. I think it's great that they are looking at everything from a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's particularly important because in churches, so often people will think that domestic abuse is something that doesn't happen with Christians. Yep. They think it's what happens out there. And I think often I've found when you say to churches, domestic abuse will be going on inside your church, you'll go, oh no, not, not here. So I think, as I said at the beginning, Restored are really good at shining a light on saying this is hidden mm -hmm. and it's really important that we all own it and yeah. take our, our part in uh, being responsible about all of this. Um, and I think the great thing about Restored is that they are such a network, so they're across all of the country, yeah. they're working with people at grassroots level. Um, and I think all the resources they produce are so practical. That's what I love about this book, which I think is going to be a really important next step uh, for people. So, so it's great. educating people as well as... Educating, because I think the great thing about this book is yeah. it not only supports the women who are survivors of domestic abuse and gives them a really practical tool, and I think that it's a tool for all of us. I'd love to see every church have a copy of this. I'd like to see every Christian leader have a copy of this. I'd like to see um, Mother's Union have copies of this. I'd like to see youth leaders have copies of this because it's raising awareness. It's also when that person comes to you um, and you really don't know anything about abuse. It's this really practical book. Yeah. Um, and above all, you can start in the place of saying, I believe you, I'll listen to you. And so it's something the church can lead on. Really. Absolutely. And, you know, if we believe, as I said at the beginning, that the Christian gospel is about transformation and restoration, which I passionately believe it is, it's about the hope and love of Jesus Christ, which is all about transformation. One day, all things being restored, then actually the church needs to be on the front foot on these things, not on the back foot. And we're very good on things like food banks and poverty. And we'd all say, yes, we see that homelessness. And domestic abuse is often that hidden, not spoken about, and it's, it's, behind, so, closed it's behind closed yeah. doors, and we need to be saying, actually, do you know what, we can be in the front foot with this. Sure. So, the, and the, the domestic violence bill that's coming up, mm. how important a step forward do you think that is? I think that's really important, again, because it's uh, not only are the things in it going to be important for people's protection, people's rights. And it's about, again, raising awareness. As soon as there's a bill and people are talking about it and there's media about it and politicians and peers are having to look at that, again, it's raising awareness because all of us live in communities. We all live in homes. We all have friends and neighbours and connections. And the more and more we can be talking about these things, it's rather, I think, a bit like mental health where now the church is talking a lot about mental health yeah. and the wider world is talking about mental health. But a few years ago, we didn't talk about mental health. And the more you talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. The more it can be addressed, the more people who are suffering can actually step forward. And the more that we own the responsibility collectively, you know, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be joining in with God's work of hope and transformation. And um, we can't all be talking on every subject, but I'm passionate about vulnerable women. Um, I suppose part of that is because I look at my own life and the privileges I've had and that I have been enabled to become the person I think I've been created to be and I want that for all women. I want that for all people but I want it for all yeah. women and all girls just I want it for all boys and all men and this is highlighting um, the needs and hopes of vulnerable women and that's something I want to use my voice on. And today you were asking a question in the House of Lords, if you can tell us a bit more about that. 
Yeah, and in fact, it links very much with this. I was asking a question in the House of Lords about the female offender strategy and how the government is keeping on track with that. Again, it's about vulnerable women. Um, half the women who are in prison shouldn't be in prison. Um, and actually their needs and their struggles should be dealt with in the wider community. And over 50% of women in prison have experienced abuse and a lot of that domestic abuse. And again, um, for me, it's how we link all these things up and say, actually, there are better ways to be dealing with women who offend. Uh, and that better way is working at restoration transformation within the wider community. So that's what I was asking about, holding the government's feet to the fire to say, we've got a good offender strategy, uh, more needs to be done, more money needs to be thrown at it, but we need to keep on track. And at the moment, the deadlines are slipping. Finally, the Bishop of Liverpool, Paul Bayes, has just published a book, The Table. Madeleine Davies spoke to Bishop Bayes about some of the themes in the book. A full interview is published in this week's paper and on our website. The Table is published by DLT and is available from the Church Times Bookshop for the reduced price of £11.69. To order, visit chbookshop.himsam.co.uk. Um, you've, I guess, kind of been one of the sort of most prominent bishops um, speaking out about LGBT inclusion and yeah. radical inclusion, and particularly, I guess, your your speech at Synod um, and your role with Pride and with um, Jane's organisation. Um, would you be able to share a bit about, I guess, sort of how much a journey you've been on personally? So, you know, would there be um, sort of particular points in your personal history that you can point towards as taking you in that direction? Thank you. I'm, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the answer is yes. I, 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 I don't think it's a journey from having been decidedly, um, um, uh, decidedly conservative on these things. I think it's, I think it's just that, like so many things, it was something that I hadn't really thought about, yeah. and, and or hadn't really thought through what the impact of our present policies and approaches on LGBTI people. So I have I have people in my own family. I got, I got in, in, in civil partnerships and same-sex marriages, and 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 and, and that, that 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 wasn't what you might call a deciding factor, but it helped me to think these things through. And 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 here in Liverpool, we've got Open Table, which is our LGBTI congregation, which is now multiplying into many many. It's one of the fastest growing church planting movements in England. Mm. Um, um, uh, and, and 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 that and that made me take stock um, of my of my own approach and see. Uh, it made me see what what the implications are of a general commitment to justice. What the implications are of that for this particular issue. Yeah. So so I hope that I'm not a single issue bishop. And I, and I and I hope I mean, within the book, as you will have seen, you know, the the, the bit that's about LGBT inclusion is only about eight percent of the book. Yeah. But, but, but 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 it is important to me to be able to say that, that, that speaking out for inclusion of, of LGBTI people takes its place within the justice agenda. I've always been committed to the justice agenda and yeah. just over the last few years I've come to see the implications of that for my approach to this issue. Yeah. How did you, I guess, kind of think through how vocal you were going to be about this because I think there's sometimes an idea that once bishops retire they're then sort of free to say actually you know for some time I've believed this but I prioritise unity and I didn't want this to distract from my mission but you've kind of decided to do this pre-retirement did you really have to weigh up the consequences of that or was it a case of sort of it's always the right time to do the right thing I, I, I think I mean, as a serving bishop, I've 
got responsibilities, and the responsibilities are to the unity of the church. And so the things that I've said have always, uh, I have never said, you know, the Diocese of Liverpool will become a delinquent diocese within the Church of England. Mm -hmm. and, and so as a bishop, I see it as my job to sustain the policies and the practice of our Church of England. But also, I don't see it as a contradiction, therefore, that it's okay to advocate for change. And that's what the, that, that's what the General Synod's for in every house, including the House of Bishops. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so I don't... I, 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 I think I, I think it is possible for bishops in, in, in it, it's possible for bishops to feel that because they are meant to be symbols of unity in a diocese, therefore they must never have an opinion about anything. Yeah. And I honour my colleagues across the church who've got opinions of all kinds. So you will know that there are a number of explicitly conservative bishops on this particular issue, mm -hmm. and I, I don't think that being conservative prevents them from being there for their whole diocese. Mm -hmm. And I and I don't think that advocating for change. Uh, prevents me from being there for the whole diocese, although it would if I were trying to wangle change uh, unilaterally. And, and, and I've always said in the diocese that I would never do that. And I, I hope and believe that my colleagues here trust me on that. Yeah. Um, something which, um, a, a quote which I saw recently, which people were sharing, and perhaps from a more traditional position, was um, from Rowan Williams, who says, I don't believe inclusion is a value in itself. Welcome is... Um, we don't say come in and we ask no questions. And I guess they're pointing to that tension between um, welcoming everybody to the church, but also then being on a journey towards holiness. And there, yes. there will be questions about how you fashion your life according yes. to Christ. And there's, I was very struck in your book by um, how concerned you are about a church that kind of demands purity and puts barriers in people's way. But how, how do you balance that with... Um, I guess discipleship and, and Rowan's point about you know questions will be asked and changes might be suggested. Yes, thank you. Uh, the, so, so the, the the commitment to live a life which is pure is is a is a, is a Christian commitment and holiness. Mm -hmm. in, so, in our diocese, we've introduced a rule of life, and the rule yeah. of life, the rule of life um, um, implies that you align yourself along 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 the lines of Christian holiness. Mm -hmm. So, so for so for example, when it comes to the, the specific matter LGBTI matter, people say, well, are you are you saying that people who choose to be celibate are are, are, are somehow missing out on something? And I say, no, for the whole long history of the church. Um, um, uh, freely chosen celibacy has been an honoured commitment. The, 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 the issue is whether it's appropriate to impose that on people. And, and, and so the, the location of holiness is in the arena, it seems to me, of, of, of personal discipleship and, and of um, um, an alignment with God's people. G given that, that throughout the long history of the church, what we've tried to do is to relate to a changing society. So we have an unchanging God and a fast-changing society. And the implication of that for the shape of the church and for the way that the church approaches things has always been complicated. So, for example, over uh, the, these are well-tried and tested parallels, Mads, as you know, but, yeah. but, but over slavery, there was a time when nobody thought slavery was a problem in the church as, 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 a, as a church, and they had to go through long and painful conversations before the church arrived at its present position, which is not a position that St. Paul would recognize. Yeah. And, and so, so, so the, the, the conversation that says, as Christians, we're called to live lives of holy, holiness, and the conversation that says, what is God saying through the world that God loves, is, is an ongoing conversation. But certainly, I agree with, 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 with Bishop Rowan that, that the, 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 the implications of being a Christian um, uh, bind immediately on your behaviour. So, so, 
are racist and enter the church. And if they continue to be racist, or if, as, as many are in America, they seem to be able to hold together white supremacists together with, with a, a, a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord, I would have to say that there are things in the scripture that challenge that. Okay. And, 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 and I, it, it's, in, it's in that context, really, that I see the, the, the relationship. I certainly do not believe in an antinomian church. Yeah, great, thank you. Um, I wonder if you could say a bit about um, the experience of um, chairing Pride and, and I guess kind of your role with the local LGBT yeah. community in Liverpool and um, I guess kind of what, what you've taken from that, what you've learned, what impact it's had being sort of associated with that. Thank you. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I volunteered to be, a, to be a patron of Liverpool Pride and, 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 and I was, uh, um, uh, fr- fr- frankly, uncertain as to whether the organisers of Pride would want the church to be involved with them, given the church's history uh, with the LGBTI community. So I was bowled over, really, by the warmth of welcome and by the platform that was given to me. So two years ago, I, I, sp- I spoke at Pride this last year. Uh, I didn't speak. I didn't seek a platform. I don't seek a platform. I just wanted to identify with, with people who have been, in, in, in Liverpool in particular, the reason we have Pride when we do is because of a homophobic killing yeah. of, of a man called Michael Causa. And, 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 and Michael's death is something that every Christian would want to oppose. And, and, and as you know, the, the, the Lambeth Conference, which, which passed its resolutions, um, uh, is, is uh, on record as saying that homophobia is something to be opposed. So, so I wanted to be able to say those things. And the, I, I do mention this in the book. I mean, I was, I was not thinking that I was doing pride a favor by, uh, by being their patron. But what bowled me over was that they so graciously received me. And when I spoke there and when I have been in, in, in contact with, with the LGBTI community, the, the warmth of welcome from people who would have every reason N- n- not to believe that the church wished them well. The yeah. warmth of welcome has been has been very Im- impressive to me. So I'm humbled by my connection with Pride. Would you you sort of mention your working class roots? Um, would you be able to s- say a bit about, I guess, those roots in the family that you grew up in, and then kind of move on to talking a bit about, I guess, sort of class within the C of E, and that that's obviously quite a live issue in terms of the composition and whether we really reflect society um, and, and perhaps some changes that you'd look for in order that we can sort of more fully represent everyone. Thank you. So, so I'm a works manager's son. My dad was a works manager. My mum was a home help supervisor yeah. in, in Bradford in Yorkshire. And, and um, you can see the house where my dad was born from the house where we used to live. Uh, it's, uh, so, so my roots go down deep in there. And rather like Neil Kinnock in those far off days, I'm, I'm the first base of my generation ever to, uh, the first base of any generation ever to go to university. Yeah. So, so, so in that sense, I'm a child of the, of the, I don't have an agenda. 
agenda mm. uh, on the church other than to say that um, um, that people uh, that, that there is a disconnect between England and its church and that and that disconnect sometimes puzzles us so for example when Princess Diana died there was this great outpouring of national grief and the Church of England was called flat-footed yeah. um, um, over the brexit vote one bishop spoke out for brexit 51.7 percent of the people voted for it mm. so so therefore what does that mean it certainly doesn't mean that we should all get with the program and vote for brexit but it does it does mean that we should relate to the England that God has given us to love yeah. and, 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 I, and I still believe the principle of the Church of England that we should have or do have a Christian presence in every community yeah. the, the only the only benefit I can see in for example the establishment the, the, the place of bishops in the House of Lords and so on is, is that we uh, as church leaders have got line of sight to every community yeah. and, 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 I, and I agree with you that there are some communities where the line of sight is stronger because the cultural identity of the Church of England is more easily accepted and that's why I rejoice in the mixed economy church and in my previous job but one when I had the national job it was my uh, privilege to, to, to try to articulate what it meant to have a mixed economy church mm. and to encourage fresh expressions of the church and I, and I find the disdain in which fresh expressions are held by some, uh, I, I, I find that profoundly unhelpful. Yeah. Um, and, and I long for a Church of England where uh, cultural diversity is not only recognised but also celebrated. Yeah, kind, kind of related to that, and I think I've seen you kind of engage with this a bit on Twitter, is this, this question of kind of theology and how it relates to kind of academic pursuits so on the one hand you have people saying oh the church of england is is watered down it's not interested in theology anymore we don't have any theologian bishops and the other hand i have people saying i'm in i was intimidated to um go forward for this mission training because i left school at 16 and i, I don't have qualifications and there's such a, a disconnect there and i think really raising questions about even sort of what is theology is it a phd in in theology or so i kind of wondered if you could reflect a bit on that thank you i mean i i I, I say this in the book theology is very simple word which means talk about god so anybody can talk about god um um, but it's become weaponized uh, uh, by some in the church so that the word theological uh, uh, either means let's not make a decision yet quite how you put that into 
Yeah. And, and, the, and the census fidelium is, is, is something that in the, in the Church of England perhaps we've not quite picked up on. And, and mm. sometimes when, when, a, when a theologian or a sociologist of religion like Linda Woodhead uh, does some work and works out what English people actually think, mm. um, some, somehow that doesn't impact on the leaders of the church because they think, oh, well, these people have not yet been sufficiently educated to speak theologically. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't seem to me that God, in raising up an ordained ministry, was hoping to, to as, as it were, do a cup price PhD for, for a million Christians in England. I think God's yeah. got other priorities. Yeah. Um, there's just a couple of things I just wanted to clarify. Um, one is um, that you, you mentioned in the book that um, basically um, enabling same-sex marriage um, in England is, is a good thing, something to be welcomed, um, obviously not something that's which people can do within the CV churches at the moment, but is your kind of opinion that, you know, it was a good thing that, that the legislation passed and that people are able to do it, even if they are unable currently to do that in, in a church? Yeah, I mean, it was, you, I mean you, you, you will know that, that when, when, when homosexual relationships were legalised in the 1960s, it was the Archbishop of Canterbury yes. um, um, yeah. who, who led this in the, in the House of Lords. A, a great personal cost, if you read Owen Chadwick's biography, that he really did get a lot of stick for this. Yeah. Although he himself is crystal clear that same-sex marriage or, 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 or homosexual relationships of any kind were, were problematic for the church. Yeah. So, so, so there's the question, what's good? What, what, what is it that the nation wants yeah. in, in, terms of the, in terms of the love of its people? And, and what should the church do about that? Yeah. And, and uh, you know that the church is in conversation, will be in long conversation about this for some time to come. But, but, the, but the, the, the principle that those... The, the principle that England should decide to extend the, the, both the rights and the dignity of marriage to people in same-sex relationships is, 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 is not a principle now that's contended. I don't see even UKIP um, 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 as part of its manifesto. I might be wrong about this, but I've not looked. Yeah. But I, I certainly don't hear politicians saying, and another thing, let's scrap same-sex marriage. That happens in the United States, yeah. but it tends not to happen here. There is a consensus. Yeah. And, 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 and certainly it's true in the Conservative Party for all that, that, that David Cameron had the opposition from within his own party when he led the, the, this thing in his, in his years as Prime Minister. I, I don't see it now as a live issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, and I think that's because the, 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 the nation has settled the matter in its mind. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't believe that the church should get with the programme, to use Cameron's own phrase, mm. and, and simply accept what the government has done. Mm. But, but, but I do advocate for um, um, uh, the, the opportunity within the church for same-sex unions to be recognised and affirmed, let me put it that way. Mm. I'm not using the word blessed, yeah. and I'm not using the word getting people married, mm. because the church hasn't made its mind up about that. But recognition and affirmation uh, of, of, of what people are doing in their private lives with each other seems to me to be something that's worth advocating for. Final um, question, just around, um, I guess, kind of austerity. What yeah. are you kind of actually seeing with your own eyes? You live in, in the city. What, what does it actually look like? Yeah, thank you. So, so, um, so, so, so the, 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 the guy may have said this to you, the, the, grant, the grant aid that's given to the local council has been cut by over 60% now and, and since, since the austerity thing began to buy. And, and, and the, the, the political leaders in Liverpool want to come to grips with it rather than to simply declare a deficit budget, which is what happened in the days of militants all those years ago. Um, um, so, so there's a readiness on the part of our leaders to 
try and work with what we've got, but we haven't got much. And the way, the way that works on the ground is that there is um, increasing homelessness, that, that, that increasingly now people are living, literally living in tents on the street. I know this is happening across the country. There's a lot of it in Liverpool. Last week, someone died in a tent um, um, because from cold, I think, or, 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 or certainly from neglect. Um, um, so, so that kind of that kind of obvious deprivation on the street is evident, although it's only the tip of the iceberg. Most of the people who attend our food banks in the diocese are in employment. Mm. So, some of them are in, some of them are working for the NHS. Um, um, so you've got to work as a nurse, you've got to do your shift. And on the way home, you've got to pop in the food bank, otherwise there's no food to feed your kids. Mm. It, 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 it's, that, it's that kind of regular and routine deprivation. And, and, and it is a... It, listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds you'll get the paper delivered to your door every friday plus full access to our website and digital archive go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more the music for this podcast was provided by sought after sounds Tune in next Friday for the next episode.